1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Stand with me as we read God's word this morning. <clears throat> all right, buckle up. Are, are you ready? Yep. All right. Are, uh, uh, three of you were enthusiastic. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah. All right, very good. Paul says this to the Corinthian church, and we're just like them, so to us as well. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to celebrate these words today. We lift up this world to you, and we pray that your will is done. Here on earth, as it is in heaven, that your will is done to its completion. And we long for that day, that hour, that moment, when we hear a trumpet sound and see our Savior descend through the clouds. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, The Glory of Weakness, as we continue with our sermon series on The Chosen, the third season. And today we are going to look at the glory of weakness. What a beautiful passage that I just read. Paul was basically saying God's people aren't much to look at. I can only imagine the Corinthian church because this is right off the bat in chapter 1. As he, he basically says that they're foolish and they're despised. And I think they're probably reading it going, what is he? Where's he going with this? Is he calling us losers? Because it sounds like he's calling us losers. Well, actually, he kind of is, although we're not losers because we're in Christ. But apart from Christ, we are losers. Everybody loses in life. They lose their very soul apart from Christ. And it's not gifts or talents or anything else that make us special. It is Christ in him alone. That's the heart of what Paul is trying to get at today. He was basically saying God's people aren't much to look at. We're not exactly the cream of the crop. <laughs> but that's why God is so willing to choose us and to use us. And Paul was right. He was speaking to the Corinthian church, as I've said many times to you, they were the biggest bunch of misfits in the New Testament. They didn't get along. They often had bad theology. They were cliquish. They struggled with immorality. They misused their spiritual gifts. And there were gluttons at the church potluck dinners. Literally. Yet here we are talking about them 2,000 years later, giving us hope. That if God can use them for his glory, then he can use you and me as well. Paul tells us in verse 27 that God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That is, in and of ourselves, we are weak. 
Now, there are weak people who acknowledge it and weak people who don't acknowledge it, but we are weak. We like to think of ourselves as strong, independent, self-reliant, but we are not. As I've told you, as King David, who himself was a strong individual, realized that spiritually he was a sheep and sheep are helpless, stupid, and defenseless. And that's who we are without our God. We are weak. And that's really the theme of the sermon. We're weak, but as the song goes, he is strong. In fact, he says, we chose the foolish or the weak things in the world to shame the strong. So we're super strong in Christ. And so there are a few things about weakness I want you to notice today in this passage. Number one, and there are only two things, by the way. Here's the first. Weakness comes in many forms. Weakness comes in many forms. In verse 28, Paul says, he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Now, I think you and I get the, get the idea from the word lowly, the lowly things. Not a lot of presidents and senators in our crowd today. <laughs> not, a, not a lot of billionaires or celebrities or superstars not a lot of football, NFL football champions or NBA all-stars in our congregation today. We get the lowly thing part. We're not that impressive in the world, he says. And then he says despise in our culture and especially in other cultures around the world, many, around the world, many people despise Christians. Christians are despised and that should be no surprise because Christ warns us that that's going to happen. It's the second part, or the next part, that really surprises me. It says, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Wow, that's quite a description of you and me. We are the things that are not. <laughs> I'm not even sure what he means by that, but it doesn't sound good. But he says, to nullify the things that are. I like that. You may be so physically weak right now that you can barely sit up for some, everything in your life is difficult, exhausting, frustrating, because you have no strength or no, is, in, uh, no energy, and it may be that your weakness is literal physical weakness, but can also be mental or emotional weaknesses as well. And again, he says the foolish things of the world, that'd be mental weakness. In verse 26, Paul says, not many of you were wise or in influential, or of noble birth. You're just a bunch of big nobodies in the eyes of the world. And Paul says, that's great. That's perfect. That's exactly what God wants. That's exactly how God can use us. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Your weakness, in whatever form, may have crippled you in many areas of your life. You may be suffering right now for all kinds of reasons. And of course, we don't want it. If I took a poll, how many would like to be weak and helpless? Amen? We don't get a lot of hands shooting up in the air for that. We don't want it. In a recent article by Christian writer Vanitha Reisner concerning suffering and hardship, she says this. No one wants to suffer. We may welcome small trials, counting them joy because of what they'll do in us. But no one invites life-altering pain. No one wants to 
lie awake with a pit in the stomach, agonizing over where the disastrous situation they're in is headed. No one wants to experience a loss so deep that we wonder how to even go on. While we understand, she says, that rain falls on everyone's life, no one wants a deluge. We don't pray for it. We don't seek it. We don't want welcome it. All we can think about is relief, which is what we cry to God for. Reprieve, rescue, deliverance. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Nothing wrong with going to God. And I'll talk a little more about that in a moment, too. But what the author is saying, we want our weaknesses, our trials, our struggles, our difficulties to go away. It's just human nature. And that's understandable. But... What if God can be glorified in our weakness? Glorified in our trouble? Which brings us to our second point. Point number one, weakness may come in many forms. Number two, our weakness can help draw us and others to God. Our weakness can draw us and others to God. In the very next verse of the passage I just read, and actually, that's right at the end of chapter 1. The next verse is the first verse in chapter 2. But for Paul, it's just one letter. We added the numbers later on. And so look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Now let me stop right there. Paul gives them an illustration he says, you want to hear about someone who's weak, someone who's unimpressive? Let me give you a testimony. <laughs> and he tells them about his own life and his own self. So let me read that again. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in, here's the word, weakness and fear and with much trembling my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power Paul says I am just like you guys I'm not that smart. I'm not that impressive. It is for the power and the glory of God. In fact, remember later on in another passage, Paul says, and he makes this accusation because they were claiming that Paul was impressive in his words, but when he shows up, he was very unimpressive. So he wasn't exactly Billy Graham, is what they're saying. Although they didn't know Billy Graham yet. <laughs> and so Paul understands this and he relishes it. He rejoices in the fact that he's not that amazing of a speaker. Or he doesn't have a deep, resonant voice. He's not a big, tall, handsome guy. He doesn't, none of that matters to him because he knows that God will use him in spite of the fact that he's unimpressive, or especially because he is unimpressive. And yet, look what God accomplished in his life. Look what he did. How many people in the history of this planet can you say did something more substantial than the Apostle Paul. This man with a thorn in his flesh, probably legally blind, 
unimpressive, hated Christians for years, persecuted them, and yet look what God did through him. What a profound truth. Author and businessman Harvey Mackey once, uh, McKay, excuse me, once told the story of a 10-year-old boy named Mark who wanted to study judo in spite of the fact that as a 10-year-old boy, he had lost his arm in a car wreck. He'd lost his left arm. He only had one arm. But he wanted to learn judo. His parents uh, setting up with this old Japanese judo master, and he was doing well. But after three months had passed, he had only been taught one judo move. That was it. So we asked the master, you know, it's been three months, I only know one move. The master's reply surprised him. He said, this is the only move you'll ever need to know. Perplexed but trusting, Mark kept training for several more months on that one move over and over and over again. And three months later, uh, he uh, signed up for his first judo tournament. Surprising himself, Mark actually won the first two matches with his one move and one arm. The third match was more difficult, but soon his opponent became impatient and charged him. And Mark quickly used his only move to win the match. He was now in the finals. Here's this rookie kid with one arm, 10 years old, in the finals of a judo match, of a judo tournament. But now it was different. His opponent was much larger, much stronger, and much more experienced. So Mark was nervous, and it was very clearly showing during the match. The referee was so concerned that he was tempted and was hesitating and thinking about canceling the match because he could clearly tell that Mark was outmatched by this guy, and he was concerned for the safety of Mark. But Mark's master intervened, and he said, let him fight. So the match resumed and Mark's, Mark's opponent eventually made a critical mistake. Instantly, Mark used his one move on that guy and pinned him to the ground, winning the match and winning the tournament. On the way home, Mark was sharing excitedly his matches and all of his moves with his master, finally summoning up the, the courage to ask him the question that was on his mind. How on earth did I win a tournament with just one move? The wise old master said, well, you won for two reasons. He said, first, you have almost mastered one of the most difficult throws in all of judo. Secondly, the only known defense for that move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. Mark's weakness became his greatest strength. Listen to me. That's exactly what God wants to do in your life. When I am weak, I am strong. Notice what Paul says in verse 131. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, because he knows it's not him, it's God. In chapter 2, verse 4, what I just read, my message and my pre preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on the men's wisdom, but on God's power. The focus of our life is on the power of God and the glory of God. 
Paul was saying that their weakness and his weakness was all used to draw people to God. Remember, Paul himself asked three times for a thorn to be removed from his life, and God said no. So God's power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. He never asked again after that. Now again, there is nothing wrong for us to ask God for healing. The Bible tells us to do that. But accept the decision that God makes that is all because he loves you and is for his glory. Writer and pastor Don Schaefer, in his book entitled The Strength of Weakness, says this. Each of us has a difficult, excuse me, each of us has a default reaction in most situations. Some of us are positive. We can beat this kind of people. Others of us are negative. I'll never beat this kind of people. Which one are you? Some react with confidence in their abilities. Others react with skepticism and trepidation. Oddly, he says, neither response is correct. You see, either way, we are focusing on ourselves, not on God and what he might want to do in this situation. Both reactions are difficult to overcome. He says, when you've learned to quit, to surrender, to imagine failure in all you do, your eyes are constantly on your own weaknesses, not his power. When you've learned to think positively, to believe in yourself and your own ability to succeed, your eyes are constantly on your own power, not on God's. In both situations, we are finding the answer to the test or challenge within ourselves, forgetting that God and his power is available to us. In our weakness moments, he says, God can deliver us in a mighty way. And in our strongest moments, he can do far beyond what our puny human strength and giftedness can accomplish. However we might feel, or whatever pose we might strike, we are weak and powerless before Almighty God. Whatever our first reaction is to weakness or challenges, if it isn't seeking God and His power first and foremost, then we need to change. I mentioned to you my title this morning is The Glory of Weakness. For believers, the weakness is ours and the glory is God's. And considering his promise of eternal glory to come, that's okay. I can live with that. Two weeks ago, I shared the verse in Psalm 139 that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Then it occurred to me, sometimes we simply don't believe that. Sometimes I don't believe it, if I'm going to be honest. Because I don't feel so wonderfully made sometimes. And you may not feel that way right now. We are God's workmanship. But, God, but Satan is always there trying to convince us that we are trash, worthless, helpless, and hopeless. And that our lives are meaningless. That we are less than others. So our existence is somehow a disappointment. Don't believe Satan's lives about you. He didn't create you. He didn't redeem you. And he doesn't own you. So don't listen to him. Today I'm going to share with you my favorite scene from season three. I know I said this in a previous season, but I really mean it this time. This scene that you're about to see is so powerful. It is literally 
the best thing ever put on film. I'll put this against any blockbuster movie, any grand epic that you'll ever see. Having said that, before we see it, you need to know that this scene, in and of itself specifically, is not in Scripture. Uh, in fact, many of the disciples, with many of the disciples, we have very limited information about them. As I told you last week, when we looked at Matthew, we don't have much on Matthew. So they had to, the writers of the series had to look at their name and look at their situation and try to extrapolate who they were and details about their character. In this scene, Jesus has just told his disciples that he's sending them out in pairs for the first time to preach, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, which of course is in scripture. I would love to have been there. In fact, it's also a scene in, in this series and if I can get to it, I'll give you a bonus sermon on that scene because it's fantastic. Just get, you have to understand that until this moment, the disciples haven't preached a single time. They haven't even thought about healing somebody or casting out demons. They, they've never done anything, but listen, they're the behind the scenes kind of guy. They don't cast out demons. Again, they're fishermen, they're tax collectors. What do they know about that? And so Jesus just calmly sits down with them and says, hey, I'm going to send you out, guys. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to be preaching, even though none of you have ever preached before. You're going to cast out demons, even though you've never done that before. And you're going to heal the sick and the lame, even though you've never done that before. You can imagine the conversation that took place among the, the disciples when they heard that. What? what on earth are you talking about? You talk about pushback. <laughs> What if I told you today that this evening I'm going to take every one of you to various places here in the Metroplex and you're going to preach a sermon in tonight's service in various churches? Are you ready? So he just told them that. And, and you know, none of them have ever been to school. They've not been trained for that. For one of the disciples, uh, excuse me, disciples, for one of the disciples... There you go. His power is perfect in my weakness. For one of the disciples, the writers of the series, uh, they took the name Little James, or as the Bible literally calls him, James the Lesser. And we don't know a lot about him, but he has the name James the Lesser because Lesser, there were two Jameses, and obviously there was a big James, and this is Little James. Now, that can't sound complimentary <laughs> to be called Little or to be called Lesser, but we don't know why, but obviously it probably has something to do with his physical stature. Or it may be possibly a physical disability which he had that resulted in his small stature, which is a reasonable conclusion to draw. As for the term the Bible uses for him, no one wants to be known as that. You take your name and just add the word the lesser to it, or the words the lesser. Uh, there must have been a substantial reason for calling him that or using that language. Which brings up an interesting question. I have to ask this before we see this scene. Do you think the disciples and their families had perfect health and an easy time while they were following Jesus? I mean, did he heal them every time they got a cold or stumped their toe? Did they... 
did they come to work with the flu? Maybe the bigger question is, as Christians, do we expect God to do that for us right now? God, I'm following you faithfully. You need to heal this or fix that or remove this challenge or weakness from my life. I'm following you, so you should do this for me. Now, I'm not saying that you and I do that, but it sounds like us. <laughs> Does it not? We have this deal, we think, with God. We do our part of following God faithfully and obeying him, and he should do his part of keeping us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Of course, it's a biblical thing to ask for God's help. I shared that with you a while ago in healing. But to think that it's part of a deal that we have with God or that he owes us, well, that's a problem. In a few weeks, we're going to look at this struggle more closely in the life of Peter. Anyway, after seeing all the miracles Jesus performed, we have to wonder what his disciples thought when difficulties entered their own life. And while this scene I'm about to show you may not have happened exactly this way, the subject matter, the content of the scene is repeated time and again throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament. So the content of this scene is strongly biblical. So I find this scene so very important, and it is beautiful. Focus with me for just a minute and watch this scene closely. Master. Little James. May I have a moment? Of course. I am. Um... Forgive me, I'm uh, not always confident to speak. Slow to speak. It's a very good quality. <laughs> to ask you a question. Please? You're sending us out with the ability to heal the sick and lame. Yes, that, that is what you said. Yes. So you're telling me that I have the ability to heal. <laughs> Forgive me, I just find that difficult to imagine with my condition which you haven't healed. Do you want to be healed? Yes, of course, if, if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. Then why haven't you? Because I trust you. What? Little James, precious little James, I need you to listen to me very carefully because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? In the Father's will, I could heal you right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes, that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more 
even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't hear you. To know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, they're so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David that I fearfully and wonderfully made, but it doesn't make this any easier. And in this group, it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden. A burden? First of all, it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper. Trust me. Are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. But these are things the Father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you pass from this earth and you meet your Father in heaven where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer, your reward will be great. So hold on a little longer. And when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness, and when you do great things in my name, in spite of this, the impact will last for generations. Do you understand? Thank you, Master. A man like you, healing others, Oh, what a sight. I can't wait to hear your stories when you return. Shalom, my son. Shalom. And James. Remember. You will be here.
It's only a matter of time. It gets me every time I watch that. It reminds me of how difficult it must have been for Jesus to see the frailties of others that he loved, and yet he allowed it to happen. You know, as a parent, I have three children, and I want them to be healthy. I do everything in my power to help, make them, help them stay healthy and happy. To watch somebody that you love struggle it's hard. But Jesus knew that it was for the glory of God. He was, he was compassionate. I just love the scene. Jesus referred to him as precious little James in that scene. The truth is, we are all little James. We all have tragedy and struggle, problems, weaknesses. For the glory of God, God allows these things to happen and to, to take place. I can't explain that. He did say to him there toward the end, these things are a mystery. We don't understand everything now. And I can't tell you a full explanation as to why you're suffering the way you do. But I know that we'll understand in time. And then he left him with this promise at the end. One day, one way or another, all of your weaknesses will be gone swept away in the presence and in the glory of your Savior. Our weaknesses may come in many forms, and we all struggle. May our heart's greatest desire today be that God is glorified in those weaknesses, and we celebrate that. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today, and we are no different than little James. We are the lesser in so many ways. So is Paul, so were the Corinthians. We also remember that whatever you do, you do because you love us. And while Jesus could have healed James of whatever infirmities he had, his love for him compelled him to wait so that you could be glorified through him. So, Father, as hard as it is, if we have prayed and prayed and prayed for you to remove our weaknesses, I ask your spirit would help to grow in within us this realization that there is glory in our failings and our weakness and our struggles. It may look lesser to us and lesser to those in this world, but how much more does it bring out your glory to see you do the impossible through us and everybody knows it must be you because we're not capable of doing that or of saying those things or behaving in that way Father we ask and pray your spirit would be upon us right now as you're praying no one's looking around can that be your prayer Father, even if I have to continue in this weakness, I pray that's okay. Your will be done if you can be glorified. 
instead of resenting God or resisting God or accusing God, embrace the fact that God loves you. And he may allow that weakness in your life for his glory. And you will reap a reward in heaven that will never end. Now, of course, there is nothing that we can do or say to earn salvation. We can't do that. The reward I'm talking about in heaven is for the redeemed, those who have already surrendered their life to Jesus. And it may be today, you need to come to the moment where you say, God, I surrender my life to Jesus. Weak or strong, rich or poor, young or old, healthy or unhealthy, wise or foolish, whatever I am, whoever I am, and however I am, I give it to you today. It's yours. I belong to you. Maybe you want to come down and say, Pastor, I want to surrender to Christ. That's all you have to say. I want to be a Christian. Maybe you want to come and kneel and pray. Just settle this matter there's a weakness that you're struggling with. You know what it is. Settle it today, now. Say, Lord, I give it to you. If it's your will, remove it. If not, be glorified through it. Would you be willing to do that? No one's looking around. As you pray, would you stand? Everyone, everyone stand. All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed right now. Your opportunity is here now. You come.